It causes so many people to melt, to retreat, to second-guess themselves. But criticism is actually something we all ought to be celebrating. Really, seriously. Just ask Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos. If you're doing anything interesting in the world, you're going to have critics. Welcome in to episode number four. This is the Decide to Lead podcast with Russ Hill. This podcast is for those who are not yet the person they want to become and people who are looking for ideas, unlocks, tips, hacks on personal productivity, time management, any, any ideas on how to more effectively lead others, those are all the things that we talk about each week in this Decide to Lead podcast. I'm Russ Hill. So glad that and appreciative that you've downloaded this episode, and hopefully you've subscribed to this weekly podcast. I've gotten great feedback on the first three episodes, and I appreciate all of you who have connected with me on social media, either on Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn. If you haven't done that yet, will you... At some point in the near future, do that. The best way to figure out how to connect with me on those social media platforms is just to go to my website at russhill.com. And in fact, for this episode, just go to russhill.com slash the number four for episode number four, russhill.com slash four. And you'll have links there to how to connect with me on Instagram, where I'm super active, or Facebook and uh, LinkedIn, whatever your social media, your favorite social media platform is. Okay, in this episode, here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about criticism, like I said just a minute ago. And some of you probably heard me open the show saying, you know, we should celebrate critics and criticism. And I know that sounds weird, and at some level we all understand that. But I I want to do a couple of things in this episode. Number one is I want to start off with a personal story to, to really illustrate how I learned this concept powerfully. And then I want to play part of an interview that Amazon founder and CEO Jeff Bezos gave. He doesn't give many interviews, and so this was a rare one. And he got into this issue, this topic of criticism, and I found it really fascinating. So I want to play part of that for you in just a few minutes as well. Okay, so in the last episode, episode number three, I talked about, in, in part, my experience working in the media business. So for those of you who don't know, I spent almost 20 years, like 16, 17 years working in the media business, first as a reporter, and then worked my way up to being an executive in a national broadcast company. Um, I was based out of the Phoenix area. And uh and so let me talk to you about about Phoenix. When I when I first moved to Phoenix, my responsibility was to transform a few radio stations that our company had acquired. One of them was a news talk and sports station. It was the home of the play by play for the Diamondbacks, the Arizona Cardinals, the ASU Sun Devils, uh, the Phoenix Suns and and uh, and had talk show host and news programming. And when I got there, the ratings were dismal. They were terrible. And and so we went to work on doing some research. We did focus groups where you get a group of listeners or potential radio listeners in, in a room and you have people ask them questions and you're on the other side of uh, a one way mirror and you're watching their their reaction to questions or, or topics that you bring up. And then we did phone interviews where we paid a company to survey to call out to hundreds of people and ask them questions. Here's what we discovered. Nobody could remember anything that was being said on our radio station. The few people 
and that's relative. I mean, we had we had thousands and thousands of listeners, but not nearly a large enough audience to generate the kind of ratings that our company expected and the revenue our company expected. And so we did research on our current lineup or the current programming. We discovered nobody was was able to recall any of it. It was it was basically like wallpaper. It's there, but unless it's super colorful or interesting, you don't even notice it. It's like a a, a white paint color on a wall. It's just there, but nobody's pointing to it, remembering it. It doesn't stand out. And so as we began to do research and really study this issue, I learned something about the media business, that a, a trend that was changing. And here's what I noticed. If you didn't get on the air and have a strong opinion nobody noticed you and and so you had to you had to in, in order to generate decent ratings the the trends in the in the media business were becoming such that you had to get on and and state a strong opinion and people would tend to either agree with you or disagree with you but they couldn't stay neutral if i get on the air and say donald trump is a great president a good number of you are going to roll your eyes, vomit. You're just going to you're going to have a reaction to that statement. The other portion of you are going to go, yeah, totally. You're going to agree with that. You're going to be so glad that I backed up your opinion. But you're, no one is going to hear me make that statement. Donald Trump is a great president and not react emotionally, mentally. It's going to generate that opinion. If that were my opinion and I said that, it would generate a reaction to you. This is why, by the way, CNN is no longer unbiased. Despite whatever they say, they have a lot of opinion on their television network now. They discovered what Fox News Channel discovered. And by the way, MSNBC discovered it as well. By the way, the New York Times has discovered it. And every publication and media business has discovered it. We just discovered it a long time ago. Um, and some of those networks have just recently discovered it in the last uh, five years or so. And that is, if you're not stating a strong opinion, people don't react to you. And so the moment I started putting talk show hosts on the air that had strong opinions, our ratings went up. Because they caused reaction. The people that hated that person's opinion tended to tune in, not everyone, but they tended to tune in to see how strongly they disagreed with what they were saying. They couldn't believe that that person was on the air saying what they were saying. The people who agreed with them rallied to his or her, that talk show host, to, uh, uh, their cause. So they tuned in to, yeah, that's exactly right, to back them up. So when there's an opinion, people react to it and it tends to generate um, more rate. It always generates more ratings. Now, here's the other thing we noticed because we'd put those talks. I'd hire these talk show hosts, put them on the air, and then we would track whether you had an, a favorable or unfavorable rating of that talk show host. If the unfavorable rating or percentage of the, if the percentage of people who viewed that talk show host unfavorably went higher then the favorable, then their ratings were going to go down. People just there, there were too many people that hated that individual. But what we wanted, we discovered the sweet spot was was for the talk show host to have a strong favorable rating or or opinion, but also a decent unfavorable review. So uh, let me give you some hard numbers. So if let's say sixty percent of the people listening 
had a favorable opinion of that talk show host and about 20% had a an unfavorable opinion and about 20% were just kind of neutral. They were not sure they disagreed, but they also agreed. Then that was a highly successful talk show host. That was a sweet spot, about 60, 70% favorable and about 20% unfavorable. My position is that is the sign of a successful person. Forget about the media business. I think if you've got, I've become convinced if you have about 60, 70, 80% out there who are viewing your decisions, what you're doing favorably, and about 10%, 5%, 20%, some minority percentage going, yeah, I don't agree with, with what she's doing or what he's uh, saying, then you're in, a good, you're, you're in a great position to be successful in leading an organization or just in life period, in my opinion. So, to further illustrate this, I want to play this interview. This is an interview that uh, Walt Mossberg, who used to be with the Wall Street Journal, now I think he's with Yahoo. He does this uh, conference every year, and he invites big names in tech, and he gets the biggest names to come. And recently, he, he invited uh, Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, to come on stage with him. And he does this interview for an hour, hour and a half, live on stage. And um, and Jeff agreed, Jeff Bezos agreed to come, which was very unusual. And they got into the they got into a conversation about critics. And Walt started asking Jeff about, you know, how do you respond to this and what do you think? And I'm going to play about a minute, a minute or so of the interview and then we'll react to it. Here's Jeff Bezos on stage with Walt Mossberg uh, responding to some questions about Jeff's and Amazon's critics. If you're doing anything interesting in the world, you're going to have critics. The only way, if you absolutely can't tolerate critics, then don't do anything new or interesting. <laughs> and then you can insulate yourself. Then think how wonderful your life will be. Is that the Bezos principle? Um, yeah, so <laughs> I would just say, um, you know, it's, 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 it's not, move forward. It's not worth um, uh, losing any sleep over. And, uh, and, and by the way, usually people, when you, if you see something, I don't know, you're kind of a public figure, and you've probably, things have probably been written about you that you didn't think were nice. That's true. And, um, and, and, and my, my advice, if you came to me and said, Jeff, this, you know, somebody wrote this and it really hurt my feelings, what should I do? I would say, go stand on a street corner and watch in a crowded urban area and watch all the people walk by and think about what they're thinking about. I bet you none of those people are thinking about you. That's true. <laughs> I love, I, I love uh, Walt Mossberg's r- response to Jeff's comment there. Yeah, you're right, Jeff. Nobody, ain't nobody out there thinking about me uh, is the way Walt, uh, Walt responds. So a couple of principles that Jeff m- makes or, or talks about in his response, and let's break it down because I think they're super interesting. The first principle in his response is, hey, look. To you, when you hear criticism that's aimed at you, it's deafening. It can be deafening. It rings in your ears. It might keep you up at night. You might not be able to shake it. But to the rest of the world, if the criticism isn't aimed at them, they tend to not really hang on to it. So 
yeah, they might pay attention to the criticism initially and think about, oh, that's interesting that so-and-so is being critical of that person. They'll think about it, but then they tend to just move on. They've got other things to think about. It's not They're not obsessing with, about it. It's not constantly on their mind, and yet it is on ours. So we, we can lose sleep over it. We can just... It, it can paralyze people more on that in a minute, but that's the first principle that Jeff uh, responds with, or that's one of the, the principles he responds with. But I want to go back to the very beginning of the clip. And I'm in fact, I'm going to play the first few seconds of it again, because I want you to pay close attention to the verb that Jeff uses in this, in talking about criticism. He doesn't say that we should like criticism necessarily. He doesn't say you should love it. Pay attention, listen here real closely to the verb that Jeff uses when talking about criticism. If you're doing anything interesting in the world, you're going to have critics. The only way, if you absolutely can't tolerate critics, then don't do anything new or interesting. Okay, so the verb is tolerate, right? What, what Jeff Bezos says there is you've got to be able to tolerate your critics, and it's, it's interesting to, to think about what generates critics. It means that you're doing something meaningful. You know, one of the best examples I can think of is a sports league. Think about uh, the NBA. Who are the players in the NBA who have the most critics? Is it the guys who are sitting on the bench? No. In fact, none of us or hardly any of us even know their names. The people with the most critics in the National Basketball Association are the stars, the ones who are scoring the most points, who are paid the most, who are most highly recruited and sought after. LeBron James, Steph Curry, fill in the blank, all these NBA franchise players. Speaking of basketball, it's interesting to think about. So in the Hill family, there are like no athletic genes. (laughs) If you search through the genetic pool in the Hill family that I come from, generation, I mean, there might be. I might have like a third cousin listening to one of these podcast episodes, and he's like, hey, Rice, I can actually do whatever. Okay, great. You were the one that got him because the rest of us didn't. I've already apologized to my four kids over and over again to let them know I am so sorry that the genes that you got have no athletic ability in them. And my wife's family love them dearly, but there ain't a lot of athletic genes over there either. And thinking about the game of basketball, as I grew up, I I, uh, am a member of of a church and so very active in my faith. And so growing up, we had youth night, right? A lot of churches do that. And so one night a week, we would go to a church activity. And oftentimes when I was growing up, the church activity would be at least some portion of it would be a group of guys my age on the basketball court, whether that was our uh, formal activity that night or just something we were doing while waiting for the leaders to get us started on whatever we were supposed to be doing, we, we'd play basketball because so many teenage boys are interested in shooting hoops. Well, one of my regrets is I very rarely played with them. Why? Because I'm convinced now, looking back, yes, I got no genetic ability 
but could I do something decent? Could I develop a decent shot or be great at defense? Well, maybe not great, but I could have developed some kind of ability. But what kept me off the court? And I think, looking back, a lot of it was I just didn't have confidence. I was worried about critical comments other people would make. Guys making fun of me or thinking, wow, he can't, he can't dribble or do any of these sorts of things. And so criticism or the fear of it can often keep people on the sidelines. And that's one small aspect of my life. Certainly, I haven't walked, walked around regretting that every day. It doesn't, doesn't cause any intense pain for me. But you know what? I wish I would have done that. I wish I would have been more confident and assertive in playing. And I wish I would have been less concerned about criticism. Today, I'm recording this episode, episode number four, in my hotel room here at a Marriott in the Washington, D.C. area. As I've said in other episodes, I travel a lot as part of my work. Last year, over 140 flights. In the last couple of months, everywhere from London to Singapore to I've lost count of how many states. But most weeks, I'm, I spend one or a few nights in a hotel somewhere generally in the United States, but sometimes somewhere else in the world. Today, I'm in D.C., and I'm spending three days this week with a healthcare company with about 17,000 employees here in the D.C. area. Part of my work with this organization, they've hired our firm, and part of our work here is meeting with thousands of employees. So I'm leaving the hotel room, and it's the afternoon. I've already been to three meetings today. I'm headed to my fourth in a, an evening meeting in just a little while. And so we're meeting with thousands of employees. Tonight, the meeting is with physicians, doctors. Do you know who the most frequently criticized person in all of the meetings throughout the organization? It's not like people are totally picking on this individual. But if you had to set aside one person who is most often most often is this is the target of critical comments in this company, who do you think it is? Because it's not that different here than anywhere else. It's the CEO, the leader of the organization. And when you look at the CEO of this organization, let me tell you a little bit about him without divulging uh, much about this company. The leader of this organization founded the company more than 30 years ago. He and a group of people, primarily led by him, started it. There are 17,000 people, more than 17,000 people, who will go to today the hospitals that this company owns and receive, in some cases, life-preserving procedures because of the company this team started, this man started. There are 17, so those 17,000 people are helping out all those patients. Then you've got the 17,000-plus employees who are paying their mortgages, who are buying food to put in their fridge. And if this individual didn't start the company, they wouldn't be working. All these 17,000 people wouldn't be working for the company. And yet he's the one who gets the most criticism. And I'm not saying it's not deserved. Some of it is he would even tell you, yeah, I need to change in those areas. He has said it. And so it's interesting to think about it. Why am I doing an episode on criticism and so early in the launch of this podcast? Well, it's because I know far too many people who struggle 
to, in Jeff Bezos's word, tolerate or accept criticism, that it's part of the reality of getting off the bench and getting in the game. In fact, I would suggest to you, as you listen to this, that if you have some critics out there, personally or professionally, meaning, you know, they're in your personal life or at work, if whatever you do, if there are some critics, it means you're doing something meaningful. It means you're showing up. Back to the example I started this episode with in the world of talk show host and the media business, it means you're actually probably generating ratings. <laughs> the problem with the radio station I took over in Phoenix where I started to lead was we had no ratings because no one was getting off the bench and saying anything real fascinating or interesting. It's not that they were all boring. It's not the case. But the consumer, the, the consumption habits of media uh, consumers had changed and they wanted opinionated content and we weren't giving it to them. I think of also another thought I would I pass along to you. And, and I, I what I hope to do in these podcast episodes is get you to think. I'm not an expert in like anything. <laughs> I've just experienced enough of life and I've worked with enough people and I travel so much and interact with so many people and sat through thousands of meetings in religious organizations that I, you know, that I've been a member of, the religious organization I'm a member of and have been responsible for leading congregations. I've sat through tons of meetings and counseled people one-on-one or couples or whatever else and and then in my work working with senior executives of large companies to smaller companies, tons of different people. And so I've seen things. And one of the things that I, I want to do is get you to think. And so hopefully I'm doing that. So President Obama, our last president, obviously, he made a comment once in an interview. Someone was asking him about his job. And forget whatever you think about President Obama politically. I don't care about that at this moment. What he said was interesting in defining his job as the leader of the free world. He said, my job is to make decisions. My job is to make decisions. And he said, this interview stood out to me. I tried to find a clip of it. I can't find it anywhere. And what, what and if, you, if any of you have heard it or know where it's at, I'd love for you to send me the link. Reach out to me on social media, and I'll, I'll tell you how to do that in a second. But um, so he said my job is to make decisions, and he said the toughest decisions in the country come to me as the president of the United States. It only gets to my desk. It only comes to the Oval Office if it's a very difficult decision. And he was talking, and if my memory serves me right, he went on to talk about that's why presidents, their hair changes colors so quickly, goes gray so quickly, and they age so much is because their job is to make tough decisions. Now, none of us, or I don't think any of us, are going to end up being president of the United States, or most of us won't be anyway. But we make decisions, and leaders make decisions, and people who are getting off the sideline or off the bench and get into the game, you've got to make decisions. You've got to take positions on things. That's why we pay. Why do we pay a CEO different a different salary than we pay a lower-level manager? Because the decisions that get to the CEO's desk are much tougher to make, and they could affect the entire organization, the future, the the um, destiny, if you will, of this company. They make the right call or the wrong call. We're all going to pay the price as employees of it. And so they live or die, and a senior executive lives or dies by the decisions that she or he makes. So we pay them 
more money because they have to take a position and because they've got more experience, hopefully, in all these different things. But the decisions has a a huge amount uh, uh, to do with that. Now, having said all this and doing this episode on criticism, I don't want anyone to walk away. And I know this is common sense, but it'll make me feel better saying it. I don't want anyone to walk away from this and go, Okay, so the point is you want as many people to dislike you as possible. It's great to go out and try to generate people to criticize and maybe even hate you. No, that's not the point. Again, go back to the example I used at the beginning of the episode. When we were looking at the talk show host or the personalities that I was trying to hire to put on that radio station to generate some ratings, what I looked for was a favorable rating of around 75, 80% and a healthy, unfavorable rating amongst the listeners, the audience of the show of somewhere around 10, 20%. I think in real life being off the air, not being a talk show host in real life, the percentages are a little different. I think if you're a leader of an organization, you ought to anticipate and tolerate a critical response from about 5% to 10% of the organization. I think in life, five to maybe maybe anywhere from I, mean, I don't know what the figure is, but my in my mind it's somewhere like three percent, five percent, maybe at the high end ten percent in our personal lives that people are going to be critical of what we do. And in Jeff Bezos's word, we just need to tolerate it because it means we're taking positions, we have opinions, and we're doing things. And so if that unfavorable rating gets too high, if I put a talk show host, if I had done that, put a talk show host on the air and 80 to 90 percent of people disagreed with him or critical of him, they were going to have their ratings were going to die. They were going to go off the charts negative. And so the same is true for us. We don't want to generate rating dis, dis, unfavorable or critical ratings that high, if you will. So here in episode four, criticism. I just think it's such an interesting topic, and so many people are paralyzed and have anxiety around it. And it's not that we should love it, but when I said at the beginning about celebrating it, the reason I put it that way is when you start to hear some criticism or some pushback in any area of your life, you ought to be able to, we all ought to be able to think, oh, I'm doing something now that matters. And in a future episode, we'll talk about how to deal with some of those uh, skeptics or critics and how to even win over some of them because they aren't lost causes. We ought to be able to do some things, especially in an organization or a team that we lead. We don't want to just kiss those people goodbye and go, "Okay, good. You're part of the 20 percent that aren't going to like me. And so good. No, we should try to win over some of them in our personal and professional lives. And we'll talk about that more in a future episode, but we're getting toward my time limit on this one. So I want to cut it off. So food for thought. I'd love your feedback and your reaction to what I've suggested in this episode. And so the way to deliver that is on Instagram or on Facebook or on, uh, you can email me any way you want to contact me. The way to find me on any of those platforms is by going to the show notes for this episode. And they are located at russhill.com slash four. Russ Hill, R-U-S-S-H-I-L-L dot com slash the number four for episode number four. I'd love your feedback. I would love it if you connected with me on Instagram at Russ Leads is my uh, my professional, my 
public profile on there at Russ Leeds. And you can find me on Facebook as well if you go to the show notes. And also, while you're at it, if you would subscribe to this podcast, that would be so meaningful to me. And I'd love for you to leave a rating on iTunes or a review of it. This, this, I want to adjust this and your feedback. I want to make it better as the weeks go on and uh, as I put out a new episode every week. And your feedback will help me make it better. What topics would you like to hear? How how would you adjust what I'm doing? What's what's resonating 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 not resonating with you? And uh, what would you like me to change? Okay. So thanks so much for tuning in. Episode number four is in the books. This is the Decide to Lead podcast with Russ Hill. Have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye.